he, the little boy comes up and runs to the father and he says, guess how much I love you. And he opens up his arms and he says, this big. And of course, the father reaches his arms this much bigger and says, well, guess how much I love you. And it goes back and forth between the two. That's how the story goes on. It goes on and on with these bigger distances. I love you all the way to the end of the driveway. And I love you all the way across the street. And I love you all the way across the river, all the way to the mountains. And it's getting late and it's dark and the moon begins to rise. And the little nut brown hair says, I love you all the way to the moon. And then falls asleep. And after he falls asleep, because we do this as parents, don't we? We talk to our kids afterwards. Big nut brown hair replies, I love you all the way to the moon and back. There are limits to how we can express things in human language. Uh, There are ways that this cute little story from this kid's author is able to explain and express the inexpressible and, and the unexplainable. Of course we can't measure love in distances. We can't really get our heads around it. But distance is something that we can relate to. So we try to express in the biggest way that we can possibly do. And we realize how big this love is from big nut brown hair to little not brown hair. Today we're going to look really briefly here as we finish up our time this morning, a passage that, that is all about love. Not the love between uh, two hairs in a children's book. Not the love between parents and children. Not the love between two friends. And not the love between a husband and wife. But all about the love of God for everyone. His love for you. His love for me. For every man. For every woman and every child. My name is Pastor Milo. If I haven't got the opportunity to meet you, we have a lot of guests with us this morning. And as it was said earlier, I know that you're not here to listen to me. And that's okay. We are here this morning because Pageant Sunday at Randall Church is by far the cutest and the sweetest and the squishiest Sunday in all the land. (laughs) Christmas really is all about the children, isn't it? Or maybe more specific, Christmas is actually all about one child. All about one child, a son, and his name is Jesus. Guess how much I love you. Matthew chapter 2 verse 15 says this, we just read it. Mary and Joseph remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. As the bumper video just showed, we are in the middle. We're just finishing up, actually, a sermon series. Three weeks of this sermon series in Advent called A Fulfilled Christmas. And what we're doing is we're looking at Old Testament passages, Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. Last week we discussed how the Magi, the wise men, they first come to see Herod, King Herod, in Jerusalem to ask him in the palace if the child, this Christ child that they had read about, had been Born Because they had read in Scripture from the prophet Micah in the Old Testament how the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And so they went to visit him. They went to see him carrying those gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The paranoid king, when he heard this, that there would be this new king of the Jews, he told them, he said, bring him back to me or tell me where he is so that he too could worship him. But of course, he had no intention of doing such a thing. He had every intention of eliminating, killing the competition. 
The Magi are warned about Herod's true intentions in a dream. And so they don't go back to see him after they visit the child. Joseph, he also has a dream, like he did when he found out that Mary was with child. He had a similar dream with an angel coming and speaking to him and telling him to take his wife and his child to Egypt. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus, the baby, they, they moved to Egypt until Herod's death. And this is where Matthew makes the statement that we're reading here today and where we make the connection to this fulfilled Christmas series when he says, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son guess how much I love you now the book of Hosea is a fairly obscure and small book in the Old Testament if it's known at all it's known for the first opening chapters the first chapters that talk about how God calls Hosea to care for his unfaithful woman and take her as his wife, as a picture of God's relationship to Israel. As, as Hosea cares for his unfaithful wife, even though she continues to go and to cheat on him, it's the same as Israel going and cheating on God with other idols. And this is probably the most memorable part of the book of Hosea, but there's this other word picture that's being used as well to describe his relationship with Israel. The other metaphor that we see in the book is that of a father and a son, of the way that a divine parent tenderly cares for his children. In Hosea 11, we're only going to use the first verse today, but God goes back and he talks through his relationship with Israel and notes how he brought them out of Egypt, that he taught them how to walk, is what he uses this language, how to walk out of Egypt. But the children of Israel turned their backs and turned away from him. And this leads the people again to being in slavery again, this time with the Assyrian Empire. But because of his great love for his people, God promises to go and bring them back. Just like God brought them out of Egypt, he will bring his people out of slavery and out of judgment once again. So here it is from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It should sound very familiar because this is what Matthew was quoting. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Israel, the people who were mistreated ruthlessly, they were struck down, they were stripped of all of their dignity, their rights, and their freedoms by the oppression, by the slavery that was there in Egypt from the Pharaoh. Israel, the people who are dealing with these difficult, heavy burdens, they are building cities for Pharaoh that they will never live in. They are working in fields that they will never be able to eat the crops from. And meanwhile, their children are starving. Israel, the people who are trying to survive each and every day with no dream, no hope, no purpose for the future, no direction, because the reality of where they are currently at is all too consuming. Israel has nothing to offer, nothing to trade for God's favor. And when Israel was weak and as powerless as a young child, God initiates a relationship with them. He dearly and compassionately cares for them like a parent who's adopting a child who's in tremendous need. Guess how much I love you. 
You see, God, without any condition or obligation, chooses Israel. He rescues them out of their dark and their lonely existence in Egypt. It was God who did this. It was God who used an unimaginable leader. He's 80 years old. He's a stutterer. He's the ex-prince of Egypt. He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. He's wanted for his crimes. He's a forgotten man. And he becomes the servant who is going to rescue Israel from the mightiest nation in the known ancient world. It was God who fills Moses' trembling mouth when he walks in and he talks and he looks Pharaoh in the eye and he says, let my people go. Let my son go that he may worship me. It was God who enabled Moses to be able to perform signs and miracles there in front of Pharaoh and all of his magicians and all of his advisors. It's God who reassures Israel of the promised deliverance of the things that would come when things appeared bleak. It was God who sent all these series of plagues to be able to help them and demonstrate his unparalleled power for all of the known world to see. And it was God who in the end triumphantly cast more than 600 Egyptian chariots, the, the, the visual for all the world to see of their strength and their power, just flicked aside and tossed into the Red Sea while his people walked across on dry land. It was God and no one else who freed the Israelites, who cared for and loved and delivers them out of the darkness and the bondage that is there in Egypt. Hosea chapter 11 outlines the extent in which God's love for Israel is as scandalous as a prophet who is going to marry an unfaithful, adulterous, pagan wife. God's love is as outrageous as a farmer who is so concerned about his animal, his beast of burden, that he removes its yoke and he feeds and he cares and he lovingly cares for that animal, giving them the abundance that they need of the farmer's provision and care for them. This extravagant care that God shows for that Israel is just like that animal. Guess how much I love you. Because don't you see this is the same way that he loves and cares for you. The love that God has shown us as well. We are not here today because we have been so good on our own. No, we are here today because God has been good and he's been faithful to each and every one of us. When there was nothing good or nothing pure in any one of us, God loved us. He, he called each and every one of us by name and told you that you are and we are his God holds the universe together and his eyes are on us and he is attentive to even our sighs and his heart is with us. The holy God wants to be in our messy, broken, damaged lives. Look at the person next to you and say, you are a mess. Did you hear that this morning? That person next to you just said that you are a mess. And can you recognize the nature of the persistence of God to chase after you with that messy, messy existence? The divine parent pursues after you. Because that mess is what we see all the way through Scripture, from the Old Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. We see all the way through the Bible to the final page is that God is determined 
to come after and seek after you. It reaches a pinnacle here in the story that plays out behind us here this morning. In Jesus Christ, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God, with us. You see, by the time that Jesus comes along, the northern kingdom of Israel had long passed away. The remaining southern kingdom of Judah, that had fallen apart, had fallen into the hands of the Babylonians. Empires had risen and fallen, all vying for power for centuries that followed. But by the time Jesus is on the scene, Rome was now the world power, superpower. Times had changed, and so did culture. But the world that Jesus was being born into was strikingly similar to the darkness that Hosea was describing as he was ministering so many generations before. The Apostle John sketches out the world's response to Jesus' arrival this way. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not even know him. He came to his own, and his own people would not and did not receive him. You see, Hosea was prophesying to a group of people who were obstinate and they really didn't know God, even though they knew all about God. Jesus was born into a world that did not recognize his light. They didn't know that he was actually the creator of light itself. And yet, darkness seemingly would come to extinguish the light once and for all. Guess how much I love you. You see, this is not how the story ends. You see, if we know anything about God, if we know anything about God's story, it always has an unexpected twist. There's always this surprise turn of events that flips conflict on its head. In his gospel account, John goes on to say this, But all who did receive him, all who believed on his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Those who were born, not of blood, nor by the will of flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Guess how much I love you. John is announcing here that the persistent God who longs to be with us and his wayward children is taken on human flesh to come and live with us. God with us. For those who call on his name, who call out after Jesus, he takes them on as your children. We're not left to our own blindness or ignorance or darkness around us. Guess how much I love you. Now what we do as children is we, we look and we say, guess how much Lord, I will worship you, Lord. I will worship you all the way to the end of the driveway. I will worship you all the way across the river. I will worship you all the way towards the mountains. And then we fall asleep. Or we fall away like Israel did. Because we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot live that way in our own strength. Our Heavenly Father, our Father God, picks us up, wraps his arms around you, and he says, guess how much I love you. I love you all the way to Egypt. All the way to Egypt, there where you lost sight of me. 
There where you are in bondage. There where you are experiencing tremendous amounts of pain. I love you there. Even though you're on the run and you're running away from me, I love you there. I love you all the way to Egypt. And do you know what else? God says this, I love you all the way to Egypt and back. As the band comes, look one more time at this passage here in Matthew chapter 2. Because Mary and Joseph remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. I love you all the way to Egypt. And I love you all the way back out of Egypt. Jesus fulfills the prophecy. While the people of God are not physically living in Egypt anymore, they are still living in Egypt emotionally and spiritually. All throughout Scripture we see all this evidence of Egypt being a picture of the sin and the darkness and the bondage that people are in. You see, Jesus, He is the true Son. The true Son that will not be unfaithful. The true Son that will not bow down to any other idol, but only love God with his whole being. When, when Jesus says, I will love you all the way to the mountains, I will worship you with everything I have, he actually is able to accomplish it. He will be the obedient Son. He will empty himself and he will die on the cross to save the Father's wayward children. That's who Jesus is. And there's this unfathomable promise of hope that God extends to His people. He extends to you and me today. I love you. I love you all the way to Egypt. Some of you are in Egypt this morning, and you need to hear this. I love you all the way to Egypt. I love you all the way out of Egypt, all the way back. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for these children and the focus that we have this morning to be able to celebrate them and their lives. But let us not forget the deepness and the richness of this Christmas story. This is not just another narrative that happens this Christmas season. This is the life-changing gospel. Thank you for loving us, loving us where we are right now, and loving us enough to pull back. Lord, as the passage from John said, if there was any here this morning who needs to call on your name and become a child of God, we pray that this morning would be the time. It's certainly taking steps in that direction filling out a connection card, asking questions this morning to be able to begin that journey together. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.